Good morning, church. Our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. It it will be found in your um, pew Bible at uh, pages um, 966 and 967. And it reads thus, um, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourself unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, They were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. This morning I'm reading from um, Ephesians five fifteen to 20. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, for better or for worse, we're entering that time of year in the church calendar, that season in which uh, the themes become given and obvious. And as we look forward to this Thursday and American Thanksgiving, uh, such as it's come to us, uh, how appropriate that we think in terms of those things we're spiritually grateful for as well. And so Thanksgiving comes to us as uh, our theme today. And uh, always, really, but, but reflecting. Last week, I thought I was actually uh, losing my mind Uh, This probably happens to you periodically, and some of you tell me that it gets worse when you get older. I hope that's not true, um, because I'm likely to be a real mess, but um, I I was, I'm pretty careful about my sermon titles and my texts and lining everything up in such a way that I can run with it. And I do that in such a way, too, that, that I'm not too reliant on reading anything, because I like to be able to speak to, to you, with you, and not be uh, caught with a lot of, of reading I have to do. And so, 
Last week, the texts uh, came up, and I didn't think anything about it. Um, My sermon title, it turns out, or or homily title, was You Welcomed Me. The theme was uh, this idea of of Christ uh, being welcome in our midst and uh, the way in which he expressed welcome. But the texts were on thanksgiving and praise. And so I heard them uh, as they were read, Ezra coming out of the story of the rebuilding of the temple, of course. If you were here last week, maybe you remember that text. And the way in which Israel wept over the foundations with joy and both with uh, joy and, I think, sorrow because they realized that it was not the temple that Solomon had built. But they were grateful anyway that through all of the captivity and all of the problems, they were on to something great. And then 2 Corinthians 4 was read uh, last week again. And that was on uh, the apostles and how they were crushed on every side, beaten and abused, but not downtrodden because at the end they continued to offer thanksgiving and glory to God. So these texts were read last night, last week, and I was trying to connect them to you welcomed me. So I really had my work cut out for me last week. I'm looking forward to a much easier sermonic Sabbath. I apologize for that oversight in the way a bulletin came together. What we ended up doing was taking this week's texts inadvertently and putting them in last week's bulletin. And so now you have fresh concepts for this week. And indeed, the question is why Thanksgiving and praise If we combine last week's texts and this week's texts, we have a multitude of things to draw on. Let's start with the story of Ezra and these foundations that are wept over. What we're dealing with in these stories is promise lost and fulfilled. A collective and common yearning for a place of worship and gathering, a religious cultural center, a place where the very presence of the divine could be seen and felt, a place in which these sacred objects that had been made in the wilderness for the wilderness tabernacle and carried by Israel on through time Ark of the Covenant with its copy of the Ten Commandments, its jar of precious manna, Aaron's rod which bloomed, the menorah, the table of showbread, these various pieces that were part of the furnishings carried with them as part of a legacy but without a home. And now the foundations have been laid and a temple is to be built and the people are rejoicing. They're rejoicing. Their collective struggle, their collective wish, their collective will is being somehow fulfilled. The promise of God is nearer to them in all of this. Reminds me, for us on an incredibly much smaller scale of the struggle we've been through with this this MUP thing. I'm I'm willing to dance again. It, it's that big. It's it's that great. 
It's that wonderful. I would like all of you to dance too, of course, unless you're as painfully bad at it as I am, in which case you may just want to confine that to your bedroom. But um, at the end of the day, profound sense of relief and gratitude and joy coming out of that experience. Hard as it's been. And for Israel, the struggle was so much longer, so much deeper. Then I think about the lives of the apostles. What Paul says. How very challenging it was for them, particularly him, because he did tent-making, so to speak, ministry. That's what we call it. There's evidence that he was a leather worker, maybe, instead of a tent. It doesn't really matter. He was a tradesperson. He was able to supply his own needs as he went from place to place by doing trade and opening and, and, and making things and selling them. And in the meantime, he's a theologian and he's trying to formulate ideas that are going to help individual churches in the early church. And he's going into communities where he is sometimes called out by people, abused. Sometimes he's whipped and beaten or stoned or imprisoned. It's not easy doing what he does. He's pressed on every side. The Jews would love for him to come down in favor of becoming a Jew before you can become a Christian, before you can become a true follower of the way. It doesn't record for us anywhere that Paul's really tempted with that thought, although he might have been. Instead, he's championing what it is that the gospel is all about. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. The gospel is the great equalizer. And as he shares this message, he experiences a sense of joy which leads to, inevitably, whether he is imprisoned or whether he is with believers, whether he is writing words of exhortation or whether he's living his life making and selling things. It leads him to two things. Thanksgiving and praise. Hard circumstances, as well as good ones. Those, and I'll tell you, I can relate to this much in terms of the pastoral work. We pastors live for those moments when we see the glimmer of something registering, something changing in a person's life, something that indicates there's been a movement of God in some way in their experience. These are the moments we live for. Because words don't often feel like they have much impact or power, even though they do, especially in written form. Paul is a preacher. He's a preacher of the gospel, and his praise goes out for those bits of encouragement he sees in the multi-congregations that he's trying to form and shepherd and encourage. Praise and thanksgiving go out to him even in the midst of adversity. Because he suffers, but not as the one who suffered as his example, not as Christ. That's one thing I think we can all be thankful for. When we suffer, we don't suffer as Christ. We can suffer physical agony. We can suffer financial setback. We can suffer suffer terrible emotional issues. 
but we never carry the weight of the entire world upon our shoulders, do we? We never carry the sins of many generations to a tree on which they die with us. And Paul gives thanks. And Paul gives praise. The easier stories to understand we might find in the Gospels. Our story today of the ten lepers is just one such story. It's an amazing story because it should seem very clear that all ten are grateful, all ten are thankful, and yet only one returns to acknowledge the source of healing and the gift that's been given. That's a little lesson for us, I think, gratitude. Let's set the context just a little. Our ten lepers are unclean. They cannot come within a certain distance of any individual who is considered clean. To touch them or be touched by them in any way is to become unclean. And there is an entire ceremonial prescription for how to undo that uncleanness. But it is very burdensome and very bothersome. Leprosy, such as it was understood, was thought to be highly contagious at the time. And so with contact came fear. Tremendous fear. Fear that one would contract this horrible disease. One would be outcast from society. One would be unable to ever enter the temple again as a free man and praise the Lord or worship. One would be cast to the lot of the valley of the lepers. Not a very exciting or happy thing. And these ten approach... They call out from a distance. And Jesus invites them near. And he heals them. He tells them to go and show themselves to the priest to be declared clean, to rejoin their families. The healing isn't just a physical miracle. The healing is a psychological one. It's a deeply social one because it reintegrates torn fabric of family and society. And one rejoices with the one who healed him. The others, I'm confident, were thankful, but not so mindful of it at the moment that they didn't stop to express it. Take time this season to list what you're thankful for, to somehow engage the exercise of letting God know the myriad of things you're truly grateful for, The story seems to indicate that Christ was appreciative. And yet he healed all ten. And no doubt they told the story with great joy. And I can only imagine that a few of them went, and I didn't even have the good sense to say thank you. By the time I figured it all out, I couldn't find him anymore. Any of you ever done that? Yeah, I'm one of the nine, too, most of the time. Uh, not, not the faithful tenth there. Thankfully, I'm in good company, I think, most of the time, too. Then we get to 
our New Testament reading. And it takes it a little different way. This is moral teaching now that's taking place. Let's just refresh ourselves again in the text, Ephesians 5. The context is instructions for Christian living. And so it says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise, taking advantage of opportunity, because days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Don't be drunk or licentious. Instead, be filled with God's Spirit. And let's put that in the modern vernacular, since I don't know any of you to be drunk or licentious. What's being said here is don't throw away your days. Don't park yourself with uh, a seven-scoop Sunday in front of the television for six hours just because life hasn't treated you right. Don't waste your time with meaningless pursuits. Don't give yourself up to that which will destroy you, that which wastes away your time. And we all do that, right? You are marvelously not guilty today. I guess it's the season. So, he's saying, because, you know, we're, we're really good at this, aren't we? Oh, well, thank goodness. I, you know, I'm not drunk with wine and I'm not a debaucher, so I'm off the hook. Any of you go there? Yeah, you do, don't you? Well, really, it is a little deeper than that that's being made in our New Testament reading. He's saying, quit being an escapist. Quit being one who's avoiding the truth and the pain of your life. Quit being one who avoids doing what needs to be done. Days are slipping by. That's what he means by days are evil. I'm here to tell you I don't consider any day that I'm on this side of the soil an evil day. It's a blessing to be alive, to be God's child, and to be engaged with life and family. That's not to say we don't have misery. It's not to say we don't have trials. That's not to say there doesn't come a day when we genuinely would rather be on the other side of the soil. But the days are evil because they are fast moving. They overtake us. Like sands, grains of sand through an hourglass, they disappear. Our lives are done before we know it. How many of you find that each successive year moves faster than the year before? You know, when you're like nine, a year is eternity. (laughs) Do you remember that? It's like, oh, I'm still in third grade. Will this ever end? You know, I mean, it's just, a day is forever. You know, your mother parks you and says she'll be right back, and 15 minutes later you think she's been gone like six hours. It's just horrible, and you're mad at her. And Do you remember those days? Okay, and then you get to your teenage years, and you just can't wait to be an adult. So you waste your entire teenage years because you can't wait to grow up. 
Okay, kids, listen carefully. That is, that is not where you need to spend your time. Enjoy yourselves while you're young, really. Respect your parents and have a good time. Live long, have a good time. We, we all want to be somewhere we haven't arrived yet when we're teenagers. And then we get to young adulthood and it hits us, oh, we've got to work for a living. My son's not here, so I can say this with impunity. Kids, stay at home as long as you can. It's a wonderful thing to get a free ride. (laughs) Cardis have said that I will be raising theirs past a certain age. I guess I deserve that. Welcome to the Honus house, kids. No, seriously. We want our kids to grow up. We want them to succeed. We want them to earn their way in the world. But isn't this how we spent our time as teenagers? We just couldn't wait. To get, and then we realized, whoops, we've, we've got to be something here. We've got to make our way in the world. There are a lot of good things along the way, a lot of exciting things. Some of us choose paths of singularity, and we have all of the adventures that that freedom allows. Some of us choose marriage and end up with families, and we have all of the joys that that entails. We make our way through life. The days are not evil, but they go quickly. And pretty soon you're 30 and then 40 and then before you can blink 50. And about that time you're wondering, wow, where have I been? What have I done? Right? Most of us won't live to be 100, so at 50 we know we're past the halfway mark. That's not an exciting thought. But those of you who are 18, don't write us off yet. 50 is the new, 50 is the new 35, okay? It is. Ask anybody who's 50, they'll tell you. The text says, live positively. Engage life meaningfully. Be a moral person. It's a sane way to live. Verse, wow, my glasses aren't as good as I wish. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's because we're filled with the Spirit. Doesn't it elsewhere say whatever things are good, true, all that, think on those things? Do something positive. Don't make your life about noise and distraction. Fill your heart with praise. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am not a model Christian in every way that there is to be a model Christian. It's just the way it is. Most of you aren't either. One thing that I have been able to do is keep music in my heart. And there is almost always for me some kind of song to God playing there. And it has been for me a lifeline to something gracious and something positive. It's been a lifeline for me to something hopeful and something eternal. It's been a connection for me 
to the best parts of what God has created in me and in others. And the text tells us to sing. Not all of us are musical. Not all of us think the same way about music. I mean, my wife will say, who's on the radio right now? And I'll go, I don't know. I have this remarkable and uncanny gift for not being able to figure out who anybody is on the radio. People are shocked when I'm like, is that Steve Perry? Whoa, he got it, you know? I, I don't have that gift. But I have something playing up here all the time. You may have a different way of connecting or a different gift. You're just as precious to God as anybody else. The point is, we lift ourselves up in praise, in thanksgiving. Now, we have these four different biblical texts, four different ideas, four different stories. Why thanksgiving and praise? Why? I will tell you why. Maybe not every answer that's out there, maybe not even the best ones, but I'll give you my best ones. One, because we were created to praise. When we worship and praise the Creator, like we do on Sabbath morning, I've said this before, I I hope you get it, we set the universe in order. In order. When we declare God to be the rightful one on the throne and we acknowledge him as the giver of all good things and we recognize him to be the origin of life and the savior of mankind, when we aspire, when we, uh, excuse me, when we attribute all of these great things to our great God and worship and give praise, We set the universe in order because it is now named as it exists. We have found our place as created, as saved, as worshiper. And in doing so, ego is checked, blind ambition is checked, moral disregard is checked, The desire to run roughshod over other human beings in hurtful ways is checked because the one who saved us saved all. The one who created us created all. The one who redeemed us redeemed all. The one who declared us his children has declared humankind his children. The difference between us and them is they just don't know it yet. That's number one reason. Number two, we give thanks and we praise because we are recipients of wonderful things. And by acknowledging that, we reshape the attitude and the direction of our own lives. Because it is easy enough in this life to focus on the aches and pains, isn't it? It's easy enough in this life to focus on the insults and the injuries. It's easy in this life to focus on that which embitters us on the injustices that we encounter day to day. 
It's easy in this life to fall into negativity and pessimism. It's easy in this life to be jaded. And thanksgiving and praise calls us to a much more hopeful, much more optimistic, much different kind of outlook that affects our hearts and minds in the most profound and positive ways. Opening us up by exercise, by virtue of exercise to the goodness and grace of God. If you never physically exercise, your body has no chance of reaching anything close to its capacities. Never. If you never, ever, ever exercise and you suddenly need to run a mile, you're going to be in very bad shape at the end of that mile if you can even do it. And you probably won't be able to do it. And this is true attitudinally and spiritually as well. If you never engage the discipline of worship, praise, thanksgiving, you will never be able to endure hardship in the same way as somebody who has. You won't have the spirit it takes to get through it. And if you do, you'll be more sour than you were before. A real treasure to be around. We all have relatives like that, don't we? And you just hope that they're not coming to Thanksgiving. Other reasons that we engage Thanksgiving in praise is because we are told to. Obedience isn't a really popular kind of thing, especially with adults. We like to give commands, not carry them out. We like to be in charge. We like to be masters of our own little universe. And in many ways we are. But when we act and give in thanksgiving and praise, we have fulfilled a command. And in obedience, we have opened up ourselves to another goodness, another opportunity, another grace. Do you hear it? Do you, do you feel it? You get some sense of what I'm getting at? Why thanksgiving and praise? It's because life is a gift. The sustenance of life is a gift. Oh yes, you'll quote me Genesis 3 on the way out. I know that we earn our bread by the sweat of our brows. While I haven't experienced it, I do understand that childbirth is painful. I know the curse is real. I know the obstacles are many. Thanksgiving and praise acknowledges the goodness of a God who despite these obstacles, despite these pains, despite these challenges, loves and provides for his many children. Finally, thanksgiving and praise open us up to an awareness. It makes us aware of the myriad of blessings that we have and graces that have come to us. And I mean lots of blessings and graces. 
And as we are aware of these, we simultaneously have our eyes opened. It is a spiritual gift and a spiritual revelation indeed. Because immediately we become aware that as much as we have and are blessed, there are people in this world who are savagely unfortunate. Whose lives are consumed with trying to meet the barest of essential needs. We have no day-to-day awareness that there are people who travel 20 and 30 miles to get a bucket of water. We have no day-to-day awareness of what it's like to live on less than $10 a day. That's 80% of the world. We have no idea what it's like to live in a place where warlords are in charge, where intimidation, extortion, rape, and violence are everyday occurrences, where people disappear, individuals, families, clans, where genocide takes place. We have no concept, most of it, what it's like to live on the streets of Santa Monica or Los Angeles. We become aware that we're part of a larger humanity that suffers. And that suffering is no less the face of Christ than blessing. They're there together. The Christ who blesses and the Christ who suffers. The Christ who who has everything at his disposal and the Christ who gives up everything for humankind. And in that awareness, something gracious, something God-given is born and we're taught to be less selfish. We're taught to give. We're taught to live with less so that others might live at all. We're taught to reach out and embrace this often invisible, or at least we make them invisible, segment of society and bring them to the table. And as uncomfortable as that is, it's a big part of our gospel, isn't it? So today, this week, Thanksgiving Day, as you eat the uh, tofu loaf and the mashed potatoes with no butter, that's for you vegans, I guess. For the vegetarians, you get butter on your mashed potatoes. And for you turkey lovers, God bless you too. As you sit to the table, whatever you eat or drink this Thanksgiving, do so to the glory of God with thanksgiving in your heart and rejoicing. Because God is going to do a work in you through that spirit. God is going to complete a work in you in that spirit. And remember the five reasons that we worship 
the five reasons we praise, the reasons for thanksgiving responsively. Let's put the universe in order. Let's take our rightful places. Let's banish ego and pride. Let's remember the source of life. Let's remember the source of sustenance and all good things. Let's give thanks for life, for sustenance, for healing. Let's exercise the discipline and increase our capacities. Let's open our eyes and see a world that only thankfulness can reveal. Not the smug, self-satisfied, distant, arrogant sort of, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all of them, thankfulness. That isn't thankfulness at all. That's something else. But the thankfulness that allows us to recognize our citizenship and the call of God on the lives of those around us to this community and to a million like it. Let us thank our God. Well, praise and thanks and glory and honor and strength and wisdom and power be to our God now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.